Welcome into Tailgate. Austin Gale here with Mike Renner in Cincinnati recording in studio. We are back from Columbus. Columbus, an absolute riot, by the way. Today on the show, we're going to review every single NFL Week 1 game. All 16 games, well, all 15 games before Monday night should be an absolute treat. On Wednesday, though, College Football Week 2 prospects review should be great. And on Thursday, previewing all the college football and NFL games. Let's get it. We need to get right into it. We had a hell of a weekend. Columbus changed my life forever, I think. But we need to get into this NFL Week 1 preview. We didn't even get a chance to review Thursday Night Football Cowboys-Bucks, which I thought was one of the best games of the weekend. Honestly, people forget about the Thursday Night Football oftentimes on Sunday, but still a really, really good game. Bucks went into that game eight-and-a-half-point favorites. And as it got close to kickoff, there were nine-point favorites, almost yeah. nine-and-a-half in some spots. And still, the Cowboys covered that number. It was two really, really good offenses, in my opinion. Your initial kind of takeaways from that game. Yeah, so I think the the matchup of the week in the NFC and the AFC, Cowboys, Bucks, Chiefs, Browns, did not disappoint. No. Like, those looked, both those teams came out and looked good. Like, looked like you expect from, you know, kind of how they were billed heading into the season. Cowboys offense, Dak Prescott, like his arm, it didn't look like it was back. It was the even the scary thing if you're having to face the Cowboys the rest of the season was his arm strength with whatever he had the uh, rotator cuff injury and then the, obviously the coming back from his broken ankle it, it didn't look quite all the way back there were some f- throws that definitely floated on him but what he just goes out and puts up you know, just massive numbers against the Bucks defense that shut down a lot of good quarterbacks last season I mean manhandled Drew Brees in the playoffs manhandled a lot of those guys in the playoffs on road to a championship so Hats off to him, but the Bucks were the better team. Like they were pretty much unstoppable. They were shooting themselves in the foot offensively with the Leonard Fournette drop slash pick, the fumble at the goal line from Chris Godwin. Like it kind of the Cowboys did all they could to just hang into that game, but it was the Bucks all the way. The Buccaneers far and away proved they're the best team in the NFL, in my opinion. Tom Brady, one of the Ooh, best quarterbacks okay. still. Oh, I'll say it. I'll say it. I think Tom, I think Tom Brady. Word. I think Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are the best team in the NFL. Tom Brady and 93.0 PFF grade in this game. Looked phenomenal. Yeah, he had the pick, but it was obviously Leonard Fournette's fall. Fumble was on Chris Godwin. Fumble on Ronald Jones. Two picks. Two picks. The Hail Mary and the yeah, 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 Hail Mary also not his fault. Tom Brady looked exceptional. This offensive line looked exceptional. Alex Kappa, an 87.1 PFF grade. Donovan Smith, a 78.8 PFF grade. But the biggest thing, we didn't bring it up, Antonio Brown is back. Mm. You know, everyone wants to talk about Dak being back. Antonio Brown looked phenomenal in that game. It's unfair that Tom Brady gets Antonio Brown as his wide receiver three. And I know the fantasy community is you know upset that Mike Evans isn't getting his targets or Chris Godwin isn't whatever. Antonio Brown might be the best receiver on this football team. Am I crazy to even think that? No, I don't think crazy. He was three years ago better than those guys. Like he was the top two or three receiver in the NFL, pretty much unquestionably. And a guy you would think would age gracefully with how just the where he wins. Like he's an exceptional route runner. He wins with skill, not necessarily just pure physical ability, even though he has that as well. So yeah, Antonio Brown, and that's this offense. Not a lot of teams, like they have an answer for pretty much anything you want to throw at them, which is scary mm-hmm. for opposing defenses. And especially when you are a Cowboys defense that ain't working with a lot in that secondary. I mean, Trayvon Diggs, I thought, had himself a good game, but Anthony Brown was getting 
torched. On the you other you side. turn on that tape for Trayvon Diggs, though, second year cornerback out of Alabama for the Dallas Cowboys. Um, I think he he's so physical, man. And it, going against Mike Evans, you often see if you turn on the all twenty two on his non targets, just holding on for dear not for dear life, but like definitely leveraging length. some like, length and physicality, and that honestly helped him a ton. And it's a big reason why Mike Evans wasn't as targeted as much as he was, but also why he had that himself a good game. I also thought Amari Cooper looked really good. He should be a eighteen targets, I think, in that game or something along those lines. Yeah. Played a really good game. Um, also, Tyron Smith, well back. back. Yeah. 88.5 PFF pass blocking grade in this game. Zero pressures allowed on over 40 pass blocking snaps. Like a really, really impressive game for Tyron Smith. Let's jump to the defense side of the ball, though. One more comment on this. You tweeted this out. Vita Vea, best nose tackle in the NFL, Dude. took Tyler Biotish to school. I don't know if Biotish will ever turn on that tape again. 39.7 PFF grade, the center for the Dallas Cowboys. Not a good look for Biotish, but a fantastic game for uh, Vita Vea. Yeah, 80.5, 80.2, excuse me, pass rushing grade. He was... I mean, just physically, I, we said it when I did the the, the draft over the offseason, the 10, 10 players. I'm like, Vita Vea, compared to everyone else at nose tackle, is kind of in a tier of his own. And that's why I picked him, because it's like he has something that you're not going to get. He doesn't have a replaceable skill set because he is a three-down nose tackle that can legitimately push the pocket every single time when he wants to. And that's what you saw. Like, he, he yep. was the most impactful defensive player for the Bucks in that game. Got held on the play that got him in the field goal range. The Cowboys could have been called. Held the play before that as well. So he is a monster. The guy I want to talk about, though, Micah Parsons, was getting shit on by everyone Absolutely. for the whatever, getting lost. The robot coverage, technique. Whatever. Uh, he looked good. I mean, he beat Tristan Wirfs in a one-on-one -on -one pass rushing rep. Probably his most impressive rep. Not easy to do if you are a talented defensive end in the NFL, let alone off-ball linebacker. Had multiple plays in coverage. Uh, when he was like locked up in man coverage that looked good, he was he was he was very good, and it was kind of if you were listening to Twitter and listening to the broadcast, you would not have thought as much. But going back and watching, he was very good at Radscape. I thought Mike Parsons played well, seventy one point nine PFF grade. I also thought Demarcus Lawrence. 96.3 run defense get grade going against Tristan Wirfs and throwing him around like a rag doll. Yeah, that force fumble is a big play. In the game. I think a lot of people don't view Demarcus Lawrence as one of the best edges in the NFL. I do think he stepped, stepped. Cowboys fans kind of even shit on him. Cowboys yeah, I, like, agree. No, I agree. Some people think he's overpaid, all these different things. He's one of the best defensive players yeah. on that team. Yeah. Um, something I also found interesting, Joe Tryon Shoyinka, the rookie for Tampa Bay, uh, 17, who's on for 17 passing snaps. Rushed the passer 12 times, was in coverage five times. I want him rushing the passer every single time. Micah Parsons rushed the passer more than mm -hmm. Joey Tryon did and that Joe Tryon did in this game. So that's something else I'll look at. But let's go ahead and jump to this next game here. One o'clock slate. Jets, Panthers. Yes, I bet the Jets plus five and a half. Yes, they let me yeah. down. But an unfortunate game for me from a betting perspective. Let's start with Zach Wilson. Did not grade all Wait, that they well. Covered five and a half. Huh? They covered five and a half. Did they cover five and a half? Yeah. Oh, let's freaking go. It's 1914. Well, I crushed it. <laughs> crushed it. They didn't cover four and a half. I got. I think it closed at four and a half okay. or somewhere close to four and a half. But Jets, I did get the five and a half then. But let's start with Zach Wilson. Did not grade all that well. I think he'll be one of the lowest graded quarterbacks from week one. I thought he looked really good from a clean pocket, specifically in the second half. This guy was dropping dimes. But under pressure, you saw yeah. him pressing a bit, some inaccuracy, some bad decisions. That's where the, the flaw showed up for me. Yeah, I... I it was a very much look like a rookie. I'll just say that. I do think that you saw the talent. Like you saw the big playability, some of the flashes. But also 
it just kind of is, you know, when's pressure, where are your options? Where do you go to? Where's like my outlet? The getting to that, the sort of the comfort level with that just wasn't there with him. And that's why you saw what three turnover where he plays on the day for him. So not ideal, but not going to start and hit the panic button if I'm a Jets fan whatsoever. It was just kind of a, this guy's a rookie and you're going to have to live with games like that over the course of his rookie season. The bigger concern, honestly, is the Jets offensive line. Yes. They had the second highest pressure rate allowed of any offensive line in football in week one. Mekhi Becton goes down with, I think, what we saw as a sprained MCL, probably out multiple weeks. And this is going to be a tough go for this Jets offensive line. Elijah Vera Tucker got introduced to the NFL pretty nicely, a 40.6 pass blocking grade. Greg Van Roten, a 58.0 pass blocking grade. There was not a lot of... George Fant also really struggled. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a very good Panthers defensive line headlined by Brian Burns. But if they're going to get beat down by the Panthers defensive line, I think Zach Wilson, who struggled under pressure, is going to be under pressure a lot in New York. Yeah, the, the Mekhi Becton injury is massive. And... It looked pretty brutal on tape, apparently only, and, and like there were guys around and praying, whatever, who, who knows, uh, didn't know exactly what the injury was going to be, but apparently it's not as serious. Like he may not be out for the season, maybe just an MCL and not anything worse than that, which would be obviously best case scenario with how bad it looked because he really got rolled up on pretty bad. Um, but with any time he is out, it's going to get ugly there. Like George Fant, man, left side there. It's just not the situation you want to be in when you're a Rick quarterback. And that Jets offensive line also showed up on run blocking. I think Jets running backs averaged the lowest yards before contact of any running of any running back group in the NFL in week one. You saw Ty Johnson, four carries, 15 yards. Michael Carter, four carries, six yards. Even Tevin Coleman, nine carries, 24 yards. None averaging more than four yards per carry. This offensive line, we said it, you know, I think before the season started, was going to be an Achilles heel for this team. And, and then you factor in a Mekhi Becton injury. This is mm -hmm. going to be tough sledding for Zach Wilson and these Jets running backs. As for the other side of the ball, Sam Darnold, 24-35, 279, one touchdown, earned a 77-plus PFF grade in week one. I thought it wasn't as good as that grade. I didn't see that good of a game from Sam Darnold, but still, it wasn't horrendous like Jets fans are used to. Yes. I Now, only 19 points against the Jets defense you would have hoped for more. But I think Darnold himself looked good enough. It was a it did not look like the Darnold we saw a lot of times this past season. It kind of looked like a guy who maybe has shown some progression, maybe has taken the offense quicker, uh, and maybe in a better situation can elevate you. So we we'll see. It's a game that, like I said, it was five and a half point favorites. This is a bad Jets defense. You expected it to look good right out the gate. Defensively, Brian Burns was a highlight. He had the unblocked sack and, and and I think is on his way. I think some people, I think the PFF forecast, George Jahuri and Eric Eager highlighted him as a dark horse defensive player of the year candidate. Derek Brown also grading super well, 76.4 PFF grade. Again, against a very bad defensive line. Is there any hope for this Jets defense, by the way? I know Sam Darnold didn't play otherworldly and we had some, some highlights from their secondary, but I think it's going to only get worse. Like you're only going to play better quarterbacks from here on out. This Jets defense, I think, could be in for a long season i mean robert Salah is one of the best defensive minds in the nfl like you're going to kind of have a floor that it's not you're not going to bottom out and look like absolute shit even despite you know less than stellar talent quarterback cornerback position so like week one that's a w to go, come away with that not only allowing 19 points with you know multiple turnovers offensively so 
I would be encouraged from a Jets fan. I think you kind of knew that was going to be the case. They were going to outperform sort of the level of talent always. Connor McGovern was in a or was just in a bad place for this Jets offense line. Or they their center, I, I think, was just in De- Derek Brown was in his bag. I'll say that. Um moving now to the Steelers Bills game. Steelers were six and a half point dogs in this game. Six and a half point dogs and still like rallied to beat beat the Buffalo Bills. I didn't Josh Allen did not look all that great in this game. Um Steelers ended up winning this one. Sorry, score is eluding me here. 23-16 for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Big Ben did not play well either. That's the thing. This defense kind of rose to the occasion for um for the Steelers and um showed up in a big way. Yeah. Alex Highsmith, I, I thought looked very good for a guy we identified as a breakout player, the Pittsburgh Steelers defensive end slash outside linebacker, whatever you want to call him. Um, I, I thought he was exceptional. And the fact that they just got Melvin Ingram for like nothing, that, that Melvin Ingram yeah. was kind of on the scrap heap for like people thinking he was washed up to go to the Steelers defense, it was absurd. Like he was all sending all three of those guys out, being able to send Melvin Ingram, TJ Watt, Alex Highsmith, who all look like plus pass rushers. Ingram in this game, five pressures on 35 pass rushing snaps, 78.3 pass rushing grade. Look, it's like a solid-ish tackle duo. That's in, that's This defense is going to have the same teeth it did a year ago. Like, I don't, I don't see, we talk about defense, you know, being susceptible to regression. I don't necessarily see that because of how just the defensive line, when you're that dominant, it just changed. Cameron Hayward was, I think we charted him with 10 pressures on first review <laughs> of this game. He was dominating. John Feliciano, one of the lowest graded players in this game, the Buffalo Bills guard. And also Deion Dawkins, you bring up Melvin Ingram. There's a play where Melvin Ingram st- goes an inside spin move on him. I don't even think Deion Dawkins touches him. That's how good, I mean, picking up Melvin Ingram for scraps when this defense is already super talented, specifically the defensive line, is going to be massive. TJ Watt, Cameron Hayward. Alex Highsmith, Melvin Ingram, they have a rotation there, even without Bud Dupree, that's going to raise the floor of this defense. And offensively, Big Ben, the lowest graded player on the Steelers' offense. But still, when you have Deontay, you know, Deontay Johnson had some really good catches. Chase Claypool had that awesome catch down the right sideline. I think they have enough playmakers to, again, they beat a Buffalo Bills team on the road, a six and a half point dog. So, yeah. Josh Allen, 41.1% of his dropbacks under pressure. That's, Struggled. You're ever over 40%. You're just not going to you're not going to be able to run your offense. Basically, that, that's kind of the threshold for because NFL average is right just above thirty. Mm-hmm. You're over forty. You're you're that's just too much. It's too much for anyone, and you just you're not going to be able to. So I'm not going to say, oh, Josh Allen's back to the old Josh Allen. No, not by any means. Um, he just got let down by his line. Yeah, I think that's a good. T- I think that's a good thing to get ahead of. And I think when yeah. you're ever when you when you're reviewing week one or even week two, week three games, it's important to get ahead of some of these overreactions. Josh Allen, twenty four percent of his passes charted as uncatchable, inaccurate. Back to some of his old ways, but still under pressure a ton mm-hmm. in this game. And if this offensive line plays like that, we might see the old Josh Allen because he's not going to have enough clean pockets to really leverage um, what is a very talented offense and a very talented team. Don't overreact to this one. I think the Bills bounce back. They're going to play worse defensive lines than the Pittsburgh Steelers. On to the Seattle Seahawks, where I thought this game, this game was close to start. I, I, I saw some flashes from Carson Wentz, but then Russell Wilson, Tyler Lockett really poured on to, to win this one pretty comfortably. Man, I, I, I just thought, and I said this in the pregame, I, I thought the Colts defense, the way they scheme it up, are uniquely qualified to, like, to l- limit those big plays. And in fact, it was the complete opposite. <laughs> it was all big plays. No Xavier Rose in this game. But it was the safeties that they were really getting after that 
getting Tyler Lockett some free runs on those safeties, and then it was over. Uh, Kari Willis allowed uh, two big plays himself, um, but Lockett, Metcalf, that's just a – and then obviously adding Dwayne Eskridge to the mix, who uh, didn't get a ton of play in the game or in terms of, like, targets, but just that's a lot of speed to throw out opposing – defenses you know those guys are all low four four and below type of guys that you get them running at safeties with free runs and it's russell wilson with maybe maybe the best deep ball thrower in the nfl at least like the prettiest deep ball thrower in my opinion in the nfl that's a recipe for disaster russell wilson 18 of 23 254 and four touchdowns in this game a very, and so many of them open deep down the football field so many explosive plays for russell wilson whereas carson wentz 25 of 38 251 with two touchdowns that offensive line i don't think played all that well either specifically in the run game jonathan taylor averaged 3.3 yards per carry Naheem hines 3.8 yards per carry they didn't they were getting bullied up front they need eric fisher like tomorrow <laughs> julian davenport was one of the lowest grade tackles in the nfl eight pressures allowed in this game and that's eight pressures allowed against the Seahawks defensive end group. That is now it's, it's obviously improved. Alton Robinson, uh, Darrell Taylor's back, like guys who are kind of ascending players. It's not as dog shit as it was last year or the year before that, but it's still not like, this isn't like you're facing Nick Bosa. This isn't like you're facing miles Garrett and you allowed eight pressures. You're this is going to be bad. And with Carson Wentz back there, I, this was about as, discouraging a start as you could see for a Colts fan because Carson Wentz just looked like he was back in the shell like he, he's not attacking down the football field at all those two most targeted players on the team were Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines he was not targeting the wide receivers that was kind of the issue as well as does he have the playmakers on the outside to get it done and Michael Pittman led their wide receivers with three targets that's there's no uh, that, that's just like not an encouraging start and especially like we said this cornerback group for the Seahawks is going to be the worst you face all season and for none of the wide receivers to really have a good day I'd I, I honestly think I'd be over hitting Vanda Putin I'm a Colts fan I'm we may have over assumed or some people might have overestimated how much a step forward this receiving group was going to take Zach Pascal Michael Pittman Jr. and Paris Campbell like there's there's not a lot I mean they need to improve and Michael Pittman I thought had a handful of good snags Zach Pascal the two touchdowns but Paris Campbell there's been so much hype around the former Ohio State receiver that we needed to show up three targets one reception 24 yards this skill group needs to play a lot better and I throw Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines in the mix for them to actually be putting up points with good offenses like the Seattle Seahawks mm -hmm. that's in my opinion you know one of the bigger concerns I, I will say one. If you're a Seahawks fan, very encouraging start because the defensive line looked good. Thought that could be an issue. The guy Brian Monet, is that I even know how you pronounce it? I, I he looked like an impact type of player on that defensive line. On to the Arizona Cardinals. Former UDFA Michigan. Go blue. Yeah. On to the Arizona Cardinals, who were three point dogs on the road against Tennessee and absolutely boat raced. The Tennessee Titans, 38-13. to 13. Honestly, and so much of it, so much of it was Kyler Murray just being a monster. 21-32, 289, four touchdowns and the pick. But most, I think, had the second most big-time throws of any quarterback this week behind Tom Brady. And so many of his big-time throws were him evading pressure, having he had, to he get had up. the most. 
Yeah, he had the most. Most big time throws of any quarterback this week. So many of his, I mean, obviously everyone saw the one where he scrambled for like 45 minutes and shot down deep. But I even thought the red zone, touch, red zone touchdown to DeAndre Hopkins cross his body. Great, like great he can make rare throws. And that's what's going to prop up this offense all year long. And it's, it's so good that if they can continue to put, you know, performances like this, I think they can win games. But where is the inside of structure stuff? I didn't see a lot of inside of structure from Arizona. That, that was still the thing was probably their three best plays or like a, a couple of their best plays offensively probably two two of the three best plays were murray just being murray mm -hmm. and, and had nothing to do with the scheme now he also had that gorgeous uh fade to christian kirk for a touchdown over elijah molden but i do still think it's going to be a lot of it's just going to still fall on murray's shoulders and that is going to make you a little inconsistent kind of like they were last season the high end you get a few of those you're going to put up 38 points like they did you don't and you're going to go in the tank a little bit. So I still worry about that. But the more encouraging thing here was defense. Chandler Jones, J.J. Watt, impact line. I mean, Chandler Jones, five sacks, was dominant in that game. So dominant. So that dominant Taylor that Taylor Lewan is like, I sucked. Kick my ass. When you get an offensive lineman saying that after the game, you know you kicked their ass. Especially Taylor Lewan, who's a prideful yeah. dude. And the guy I want to highlight, though, is Isaiah Simmons. Looked like Isaiah Simmons. Now, the pick that he had was kind of tipped up gimme pick, whatever, but also another pass breakup, also some plays in the run game that a key you know, he had stop at the goal line. He had, had another play that looked like he was a legit linebacker now, legitimately seeing the game like a linebacker, unlike last season. And a lot of that pressure really saved what we've talked about a ton of, of um, a bad Arizona Cardinal secondary, specifically a very young one yeah. with Byron Murphy, Marco Wilson, etc. But they like did not play all that horribly, I think, because you know Ryan Tannehill was under pressure consistently. Chandler Jones played a really good game. Obviously, J.J. Watt, even Marcus Golden got in on the fun. Uh, Nate Davis, the guard, was getting bullied all game long. Taylor Luan did not play well. Three, two of the three lowest graded players for the Tennessee Titans were offensive linemen, Luan and Nate Davis. That is a huge concern. The bigger concern for me, here's the stat, Mike. That's it. Remember, remember I talked about Todd Downing? Uh -oh. Todd Downing I knew this ran the lowest number of play action passes we've ever seen in weeks one through eight for a football team when he was with the Raiders in 2017. Yeah. The Tennessee Titans last year ranked first in the NFL in play action. Play action yep. This week, last. Uh-oh. 11%. And, and you could talk about game scripts. You could talk about them trailing, all that stuff. This was, is their though. offense, though. It was. Their offense Their offense is play-action pass. Yeah. They're off, to go from first to last, mm -hmm. I know it's just one-week sample size, and I know I'm kind of being a dick right now and overreacting, but still, the fact that this was highlighted as an area where Todd Downing has had previously failed, mm -hmm. and he goes in this game, I don't think he called a good game. They were getting bullied left and right, and they yeah. only put up, you know, this is a game they were favored at home, and they only put up 10 points. It was the kind, like, with that personnel right now, they had too many, like, they were sending too many out. Like, you, you should have protected your tackles knowing they were overmatched and just sent out two-man routes with Brown and, they, and Julio. It, more, more of that, more max protect than we saw. You just let your OTs and whatnot go one-on-one -on -one too often. You want to bring up Brown and Julio, those two didn't have a target until, like, halfway through the second quarter. Like, what was your opening game script? What, what was the first 15 <laughs> plays? If you're not targeting A.J. Brown, Julio Jones. That, again, is like, I didn't... This drop-off from Arthur Smith to Todd Downing was the most under-discussed thing of the offseason. Well, Arthur Smith called himself a... We'll get to that game. Yeah. We'll get to that game. But uh, it was talk to me about... Arthur Smith ruined, some, ruined quarterbacks left and right. I'm going to kind of connect these two. Okay. There were two teams. Indianapolis Colts, we just talked about. Tennessee Titans. 
Did anything you saw from week one affect your long-term outlook or preseason outlook on those teams? Um, Indy, I guess I wasn't super high on Indy, but I'd, I'd be more worried about them than I would Tennessee. Like really? Tennessee, I still think, bounce back. You're still in a weak division. Indy, like that's a defense that you should be able to take advantage of. What did you like, think? I could, of, see, I could see getting taken advantage of by Chandler Jones and J.J. Watt. Those guys do that to a lot of different teams. You're not going to be facing those guys every week, especially in you know the AFC South. But getting taken advantage of by Alton Robinson, Carlos Dunlap, um, the guys that Seattle's throwing out there, Daryl Taylor, that's a little bit different. I think uh, Eric Eager on PFF's NFL Live show, which streams live before the Sunday games every single week, made a really good comment in that the Colts have a very good roster and they have drafted well, but their high-end talent is at low-value positions like Darius Leonard, linebacker, Quentin Nelson guard, um, DeForest, Buckner, Buckner, DeForest Buckner, DT. Like they, they're the high-value positions: corner, receiver, quarterback. They don't have they high-end. Like have Jonathan it. Taylor is even one of the best running backs in the NFL. Yeah, but. Like, that, I think, is the concern with the Indianapolis Colts. Mm-hmm. I think that showed up, um, obviously, on Sunday in that 16 Look, Quiddy Pay looked good. I'll say Quiddy Pay looked good. We'll see if he keeps developing. Love that. Love the, love the small, bright moments. I still think the Tennessee Titans win the AFC South. I know the Houston Texans are the only team with a win in that division. We'll get First to place. that game later. But I think the Titans still win the AFC South. But Todd Downing's better figure it out. Because <laughs> he's got too much. He has too much talent to fail. Tannehill, Derrick Henry, Julio Jones, A.J. Brown, if you can't figure it out with those four, you're never going to figure it out. Austin Gale versus Todd Downing. Rivalry we didn't know we needed. <laughs> All right, on to the Chargers at football team. Chargers were one-point dogs in this game, by the way. One-point dogs against Ryan Fitzpatrick and the Washington football team. And we they called, go in. We called it. They go in and, and ball out. They go in and absolutely ball out. If I, so here, I, you know, it's easy to have week one reactions to games. Yeah. Overreactions, I mean. If there's any take i'm more confident in there isn't a take i'm more confident in than that the chargers are legit this year i think the chargers are actually legit justin herbert a top five graded passer this week specifically from a clean pocket top six yeah the red zone interception was disgusting it was it was a poor display of accurate inaccuracy and it was picked but outside of that this guy is putting great touch on the ball super accurate with the football especially from a clean pocket and this offensive line allowed the lowest pressure rate of any team in the NFL this week against the Washington football team defense, which everyone calls the best defense in the NFL. This Chargers team, I'll say it again, is absolutely legit. 1-0. Yeah, it was a close win, but I think a lot of positive signs out of this game. Yeah, and Herbert, he said the, the pick obviously not great, but I think his stats, his final stat line was not indicative of how well he played. Like yeah. He had a lot of throws. High difficulty were, throws. Yes, that... that basically took arm talent that, that took what he has that not a lot of people shit you know, only handful of people in the entire world have and that was a tough defense like yeah 20 points whatever doesn't sound great on paper but that was not that was a dog fight to put up what he did took a an effort that a lot of other quarterbacks would have crumbled against a defense like that i do think justin herbert is I don't foresee a massive regression in coming from him, especially, especially, especially with how good that offensive line looked. Left tackle, Rashawn Slater, the realest of deals right out the gate. 84.7 PFF grade for Justin Herbert. And that was on the road, Mike. I know we talked about fans in the stands and these things. He looked really good, really composed that entire game. And it's easy to look composed behind what was an otherworldly performance by their offensive line. They only allowed pressure, I think, on 12% of his dropbacks. Six dropbacks. Six pressure dropbacks on 49. 
That's insane. That's insane. insane. Big shout out. Line. Ridiculous. <laughs> Big shout out to Rashawn Slater, who looked phenomenal in this game, and uh, and others as well. I mean, this this offensive line, I think, actually is figuring it out, and against a very good defense. So Chargers coming out of this one looking really, really legit. It, it was the tale of two tackles. Yeah. Really? I mean, it's the Chargers had Rashawn Slater, who, what do you love? Two pressures all day. And the football team had Sam Cosme, who literally had to be propped up with the tight end chip block every time or else he was going to lose against Joey Bosa. Six pressures. And, he ran into a bus off. In the there. ugliest of ways, those pressures. Um, I, I mean, and that kind of was the difference. That's uh, one of them got Ryan Fitzpatrick hurt. Uh, and that was... Sam Cosby's second lowest graded rookie offensive lineman this week. Joey Bosa was a standout, 91.0 pass rusher grade. He was going against Sam Cosby, a rookie. He fell into it. But the bigger thing here is Derwin James, 90.0 PFF grade in this game. Looked really, really good on the defense side of the ball. Like they had Kenneth Murray looked improved, 75.0 PFF grade for him. Asante Samuel Jr. on the outside did not look ex- completely exposed like we've seen from rookie cornerbacks in previous, you know, specifically last year. A lot is coming together for the Chargers. A lot is coming together, and I'm, I'm pretty hyped up. I said the reason, the what would I say, the uh, what was on the preview show? What I call it, the biggest. Uh, I don't know what reason for about. reason that one team's going to win over the other. What what I call it on the show? I can't remember. Right. But Derwin James was the reason I highlighted for the Chargers. Wow, and he came in because because he's the best safety in the fucking NFL. And yeah. He, Look like it back here. What about your long-term outlook for the Washington football team? Ryan Fitzpatrick battling a hip injury. Taylor Heineke's looking like he'll start in Washington for at least the next few weeks. I don't know how long he's out with that hip injury. I don't know how big of a downgrade that is. Yeah. I think this Washington football team was always going to be average to slightly below average at quarterback. I think the bigger concerns for me is that this defense, yeah, it only gave up 20 points, but it needs to play a lot better than this, and that running game needs to play a lot better than this if they're going to win football games. Yeah, I'm not too... I'm not too worried. Uh, like I said, I thought the Chargers defense it, with Drew and James is, is a different animal than what we saw last year. A lot of people were shitting on them last year. They were not great. But with Drew and James, I think it's a much, much improved defense this year. So to really to throw a quarterback into the Wolves midway through a game is almost never goes well. So I do think Tyler Heineke, if he's getting all the reps this week, I, I don't think he's that much of a difference from Ryan Fitzpatrick. So I'm not too worried. Before we get to the big win, upset win, at home, Cincinnati Bengals over the Minnesota Vikings, hometown Bengals. I got to bring you our best friends, good friends at DraftKings. Week one may be over, but the season's just getting started at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick off week two, DraftKings is giving new customers $200 in free bets instantly. When they bet $1 on any football game, listen up because you don't want to miss this. Head to DraftKings uh, DraftKings Sportsbook app now and place a bet of of $1 on any week two game and receive $200 in free bets instantly. If If Sportsbook is not yet available in your state, DraftKings still has huge cash prizes up for grabs all season long with their daily fantasy contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at a at a million dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any football game. That's promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 years or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. $1 required. One per customer. Restrictions restrictions supply see draftkings.com slash sportsbook for details gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER or in indiana 1-800-9 with it the cincinnati Bengals upset what you call the very good minnesota vikings football team yeah by three points 27 24 there were three and a half point dogs in this game at home i thought the Bengals defense 
played above expectation. And I thought offensively, Joe Burrow and this offense progressively got better. And my favorite stat, Jonah Williams, left tackle, the guy that everyone wanted to replace, zero pressures allowed in this game for Jonah Williams, the former first-rounder out of Alabama. The biggest thing for me, Larry Ogunjobi, DJ Reader, BJ Hill, that trio on the interior was oh, maybe not dominant, but compared to what they were throwing out last year at defensive tackle, it was night and day. Like that, They were impactful consistently. And yes, it's the Vikings interior line. And that's probably concerning if you're a Vikings fan because that was you're hoping for this leap. Like That was supposed to be what takes you over the edge this year is the fact that you drafted Christian Derrissaw, who obviously missed preseason with injury, and that this offense line was going to be finally competent. It didn't look like that in that game. They were a massive issue. And so if you're, I think, both sides of the ball, Bengals fans... Very excited about that. Vikings fans, That's that could still be the death knell. That could be what stops you from actually competing in the NFC this year. Garrett Bradbury, the center for the Minnesota Vikings. Ole Udo, the guard for the Minnesota Vikings. Ezra Cleveland. All three of those interior offensive linemen earned sub 60.5 overall grades. That is go against a Bengals defensive line that is not coveted as one of the best in the yeah. NFL. Is it improved? Absolutely. I think you spoke to a handful of those names that have improved it. They have DJ Reader healthy. They traded for BJ Hill, which is an absolute steal. We called it when it was there. I oh, thought yeah. Sam Hubbard also continues to play well, kind of a lunch pail type. He's not like a pure pass rusher by any means, but they paid him to be this kind of stout run defender, play a lot of snaps, have that motor, and he did that. And on the back end, Cheeto Awuzier looks good. This Bengals team is improved. And while the practice reports made it seem like all hell was breaking loose, maybe we overreacted to some of those because Jamar Chase, zero drops on seven targets. I also think uh, this offensive line played a lot better than maybe people expected. I mean, we didn't overreact. I said Jamar Chase is still a dude. Like, it, it was the drops, whatever, were going to subside. We had a big enough sample size to realize that his hands were never an issue before that. Um, and, man, he looked... The go ball, obviously, that was a lot. Of, some of that was on Bashad Breland, but also when you run a you know four three or a low four four, that helps for a number one wide receiver. AJ Green's not catching that go ball that he caught before the half uh, for a touchdown, and the screw the the slant that he took that almost got the first down on the third and sixteen, and then they actually didn't end up converting that fourth down, which kind of put Zach Taylor in the mix, and he was kind of scared to go out and make any sort of plays the rest of the game until that final fourth down in overtime. I do just think this team offensively, they, they have the talent to put up points on anyone. It is still just going to be the offensive line, Kim Joe Burrow upright, because my God, it, outside of Jonah Williams, there were some issues on that interior. Do you think they can get solved? Do you think this... this no, this... I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a bad interior offensive line. It just is. Uh, you were hoping Jack Carmen could come in and hit the ground running. That is obviously not the case. You had, what you had Xavier Suofilo, Quentin Spain, both pass blocking grades in the low 60s, I still think. And that's not necessarily a defensive line that is a one that's generating a lot of pressure. One of the last comments I'll make on this game before we jump to Eagles-Falcons. Bashad Breeland, lowest graded player in this game. Mm -hmm. There's a route. T. Higgins runs where he just puts him in an absolute blender. I think T. Higgins got a bit overshadowed because it was kind of the Jamar Chase coming out party, but go turn on the all 22 for T. Higgins in this game because he also looked really, really good. I think he he and Chase looked better than even Boyd had, did. And th if that's the future of this receiving core, it's very good. 
I think it's very good. I, I also was discouraged by Zach Taylor's play calling, I think, on some of the third downs. I think they got backed up a handful of times and were conservative with their approach and tar- targeting those. They were reliant on getting positive yards early in the down, and when they didn't, they struggled because they are too conservative. Mm-hmm. This team needs to get more aggressive on early downs. Lean on Joe Burrow. Don't be scared of these this offensive line. You because you got to go chase points. And I think you have to get more aggressive if they're going to you know, continue to beat up on teams like they did the Minnesota Vikings. Shall we now go to the absolute bludgeoning that was the Eagles three point dogs on the road taking the Atlanta Falcons to the cleaners? Dogs, dogs, dogs. Yeah, that was that was a. Not a game. It, it was not close. The Falcons did zilch offensively. Jalen Mayfield, we'll get to him a little bit later in the blackout segment, but the both lines of scrimmage, they looked like they didn't belong, the Falcons. And, and that's tough to – that's why we said this is a team that's going to be in the running for another top five pick because when you're that bad along both lines of scrimmage, it's just tough to win football games in the NFL. I'm going to go hand up. Yeah. This Eagles team – far exceeded my expectations oh yeah i've been dogging the eagles probably all off season i made that comment that they could be a good bet at plus 1400 to have Mm -hmm. the fewest wins i made that comment that i don't think jalen hurts is all that good (laughs) and now i don't want to overreact week one i don't think this Mm -hmm. eagles team is on their way to a super bowl but jalen hurts an 89.5 pff grade in this game and what the most impressive thing for me hurts was good 89.5 pff grade i think Mm -hmm. that's gonna be top five among all quarterbacks this week maybe even top three but nick sirianni in this sideline put him in such a good position to succeed. 71% of his targets were to receivers with a step or more separation, consistently creating open throws down the football yes. for Jalen Rager. And now, how many of those throws were down the field? Not a lot. 3.6 average depth to target, lowest of any quarterback this week. They, but they protected him, and that's what you have to do. Like, you have to protect Jalen Hurts from himself. He's not Tom Brady. He's not Aaron Rodgers. And that's fine, as we've seen with other quarterbacks that don't have great accuracy, i.e. Lamar Jackson. You can win with those guys. I'm not saying Jalen Hurts is Lamar Jackson, but when you have limitations, you need to structure your offense to hide those limitations. That's what a 3.6 average depth of target looks like. That's what having 71% of his targets being the open receivers looks like. Even on the Devontae Smith touchdown, I thought that was well-schemed. He had multiple throws down the field well-schemed. This Eagles team on the sideline and under center, I think was underrated by myself and others. I don't think they're going to be a juggernaut. I'm not picking them to win the NFC East, but... A lot better than I thought. And I even say I have some names on the defense side ball I want to get to, too. But react to that on the offense. Yeah, only nine pressure dropbacks on 39 dropbacks. Nine, nine of his 39 dropbacks pressure. That's My lot of turning in a good game. That's a recipe for success. And some of those pressures weren't even the result of the offensive line. It was kind of just him being like, oh, shit, nothing's open. Break the pocket. Then he's under pressure outside the pocket. Like This was an utterly dominant performance by the Eagles. Offensive line, defensive line. And like I said, to, to put up the numbers he did, 27 to 35, 264 yards with three touchdowns, and to only have an average depth of target of 3.6 yards on the football field, to have like the ease of what it was, is hats off to Nick Sirianni. Like, yes. I, I do think the biggest, biggest thing that I didn't quite expect that the Eagles was that Jalen Rager, Devontae Smith looking like legit playmakers right out the gate. Like, I was a little worried about this receiving core, how it was going to like how stack up kind of in the grand scheme of things were they going to be able to get open create separation uh, obviously because Smith just being a rookie that sort of thing 
no, I think like these guys are for real. It's a different type of Eagles receiving core than we've seen in years past. But I love that they're using Jalen Rager near the line of scrimmage. Now. Yeah, just I getting mean, the ball in his hands. Just getting the ball in his hands. 42 of his 49 yards came after the catch. 1.2 average at the target, and that's fine. Like, he is explosive with the ball in his hands. And on his touchdown, I was like, who the hell? I thought it was Kez Watkins. Mm-hmm. The speedster out of Southern Mid. No, it's Jalen Rager. He looked really good. Obviously, Devontae Smith kind of got schemed open on his touchdown, but still a strong game for him. Defensively, this is where I wanted to go. Javon Hargrave ate Jalen Mayfield's lunch, and I think he might even eat in his mom's lunch. Like, he had multiple lunches in that game. <laughs> Highest graded player on the defense side of the ball in this game. And it wasn't even close. Like, there was not a single play where Hargrave was not wreaking havoc on the interior. And I think that's a big reason why this Falcons offense didn't get off the ground. Like, interior pressure at the volume Hargrave had it was absurd. Yeah. So much that Matt Ryan was never comfortable. They could not target the football down the field. This was a standout performance from the Eagles defensive line. It starts with Hargrave. Josh, Josh Sweat played a good game. Cornerbacks played. I mean, this 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 Eagles defense also exceeded expectations. Falcons are in. They're in trouble. This the panic button. You talk to me about overconfident in the Chargers. I am now very, very low on the Falcons. This did not look good. They didn't have a single starter grade above 61.5 defensively. That's about, that's as bad as it gets. That's just you were not out there ready to play and we oh shit we said it like this defense lacks talent at every single level except except linebacker which is probably the place where you can afford to not have the talent like you you needed it along the defensive line you need it at the cornerback position right now it's just not the case all right before we jump to this next game here i got fired up on that eagles game i and the eagles just showed up and the falcons didn't like full stop the falcons did not even show up to that game didn't even get off the bus we're gonna jump to the 49ers lions game next which was a sneaky backdoor cover by the way for the detroit lions a new partner to tailgate home field apparel home field apparel is a premium collegiate clothing brand out of indianapolis incredibly comfortable officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs home field is in the middle of big news saturday season two where they launch a new school collection every saturday at 12 p.m eastern for 16 weeks straight they just recently released georgia north carolina and florida and they'll be releasing another team this saturday i have the florida shirt on now it's lit you love to see it you need to see it home field is in the middle or use promo code pff to get 15 percent off your first purchase at homefieldapparel.com that is promo code pff for 15 percent off get ready for college football tailgate season Niners Lions. This should have been a boat race, and it was. I think they snuck back into this game. You know, Jared Goff, you know, padded the stats a bit, but this is, a, you know, outside of, you know, a late surge from the Lions, a dominant, dominant performance from a combination of Jimmy Garoppolo and Trey Lance. Yes, they, they were. The Lions did not belong in the same field for probably the first, you know, three quarters of this game. And, and Goff just in a shell uh, until, like, he was absolutely forced out of it by the fact that they were down what three scores at one point like that was the biggest thing to me the the biggest worry to me is he just didn't want to attack down the field and then even on shit the last drive the last you know what was four downs he you know throws a pass short of the sticks runs out of bounds like and and then just won't attack to the end zone when you probably should have just taken four straight shots to the end zone even if it's just a hail mary jump ball whatever try to get a pass interference try to get some variance and those last four downs were just ugly. And so kind of a lot of priors confirmed, I'll say, from this game. Even if the Lions do end up covering, they just were not a team that belonged in the same field. 
Well, the 49ers, Debo Samuel, nine receptions from 12 targets for 189 yards and a TD. I think he averaged over seven yards per route, Mike, <laughs> which you, that's small, small sample size. You don't really <laughs> see be a that. record. You don't really see that a lot in single games, though. He was yeah, out there no, balling. Yeah. What was also interesting, 26 snaps played for Brandon Ayuk. Yeah, what's going on there? No targets. What was that? He wasn't even targeted in this game, but the fantasy community was ready to light people on fire. He George Chahuri had Brandon Ayuk, I think, in his fantasy team was livid. Was he going like three rounds before Debo? Brandon was. This was supposed to be his, like he was supposed to be the, the guy, the focal point. Wasn't even close. So that one's odd, but obviously I think 49ers are still, like that's a good problem to have as many miles to feed as they do. And Elijah Mitchell looked really good, the rookie. Like his... We talked about him as one of the best athletes in the running back class. I think just they in terms of pure, like, spark athletes. score, he was the highest of any of the running backs testing-wise in this draft and looked explosive in that offense. So that's the that offense plays with athletes. That is what it requires because it gets them the ball in space at the, at a level that other you know offense coordinators cannot. That's basically Kyle Shanahan's bread and butter. But I will say opposite side of the ball, Lions, reason for encouragement – Petty Sewell looks good at left tackle. Yeah. Surprise. The position he's plays, you know, his whole career looked actually good at. But then Jeffrey Akuda, Achilles injury, done for the year. That's Can we talk about Akuda so for a little bit? Sure. I, I, I've never coached. I coached for one year in high school, coached mm -hmm. football. I, I was also studying to be a teacher. So there's there's an area of my expertise in providing feedback. Screaming, do your job in the face of a player seven times i don't know and again you whatever i'm probably gonna get roasted for this because this is how coaching should be you should be able you can be aggressive and loud while also providing constructional feedback do your job seven times is not constructional feedback you need to like what does he need to actually do better because it's obviously job. That, well obviously <laughs> that's not it didn't work because the very next play he gave up a fucking touchdown Debo samuel like just completely battered his confidence in front of his peers with no constructional feedback. And I think he was talking back and some people speculated that, but like there were probably better ways to go about improving Jeffrey Akuda. And I don't know if it's screaming seven, do your jobs at him. I don't, I just don't know. Oh. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I don't know though. It was a good video. It was a great least. video. It I was... tweeted out, if you haven't seen the video, go to my Twitter. I tweeted out the video of the coach his position coach literally screaming do your job at him seven times aubrey pleasant is that who it is and i and i think i would have liked to see some more specifics on how he can improve because and i think he would too i think he would too because he has not improved and he has really struggled and now a year after you know one of the worst you know debut seasons for a first round corner is now going to miss his entire second season with a ruptured achilles coming off of an absolute roasting both on the field and on the sideline tough tough start for jeffrey kuda <sighs> yeah oh yeah other other names to highlight on the defense side of the ball, man, Jason Verrett, that sucks. Torn ACL is absolutely brutal for the San Francisco 49ers. It was already a bad secondary. The cornerback room specifically is not all that talented. It means you're going to see a lot of snaps from Diamador Lenoir, rookie out of Oregon. You're going to see an increased workload, workload for Dante Johnson, another corner for the San Francisco 49ers. That's scary. And the Detroit Lions, again, in garbage time, put up a lot of points. But other offenses will put up points earlier in these games if they don't shore up that secondary. I think that's a concern for me. Oh, dude, Jason Verrett, it's just I, I want to know what his ligaments are made out of. They're just like tissue paper. It's so bad. You go to his injury page on Draft Sharks. I don't know if you've ever been there. I've never been to Draft Sharks. Where it's got it's kind of it's got like basically anytime he's been listed on a 
injury report or had something. He's got like 15 things since he's gotten in the NFL. Thanks. It's just one after the other with him that, man, at some point it's like, dude, you're going to want to play with the kids. You're going to want to not be the guy at a barbecue down holding his knee when you're trying to play in the backyard or something like that's that's just you feel for the guy because he's one of the most talented cornerbacks in the nfl i bet you he would be a damn good coach i bet you would be a very very good coach yeah because he is technically sound he's obviously very gifted athletically but to be a small corner like he is Mm -hmm. you have to be kind of all in on technique and improving that area i think he would be a very good coach i hope if he does obviously i hope he plays again whatever but if he doesn't play again, I hope he, find, he lands yeah. a coaching job because I think that's yeah. he would be specifically talented for that. We didn't even mention the fucking coolest play in this game. Did you see Trent Williams throwing a Fatimel Fanu like down to the garbage, out of the truck? <laughs> it was uh, another really, really exciting game. Trent Williams, I think, was the highest graded player in this game. Continues to be an absolute phenomenal signing for the Trent, uh, for the San Francisco 49ers. One of the best left tackles in the NFL coming off last year as the highest grade tackle in the NFL. We're on to an unfortunate debut for the New England Patriots with an L against Tua Tungabailoa and the Miami Dolphins. They end up winning this game as dogs. Another dog, by the way. I thought Tua Tungabailoa, too, did not even look all that great in this game. No. Some inaccurate balls. The pick was a brutal pick. It was a brutal pick. I I, I don't... um, I wanted to see more signs of life from Tua Tungabailoa. Yeah, and that's not a it's not a defensive line that was you know he's talked about the Achilles heel for this offense going to be your pass protection your offensive line looks pretty abysmal on paper but this wasn't a defensive line that you really really worried about it you think you should still be able to run your offense but man two turnover really plays in that game that one pick was just I don't know where he was going with it rolling out of the pocket kind of snuck by here a win that you leave that stadium as a dolphin and you're like okay we we got one there we 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 got away with one because the second half, they they looked like the worst side for sure. But then the fumble right at the end ends up sneaking away. But I kind of said it like this defense was a lot to throw at a rookie quarterback and Mac Jones. You didn't think the Patriots would have a ton of offensive success, but I thought Mac Jones looked good. Like of all the rookie quarterbacks, outside success, of that early play, yeah. You see but, the one where he threw the <laughs> he threw this pass behind him and then into the turf. It got recovered by the yes, Patriots. Yes, that, so that was Aaron Brooks Zian. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Aaron Brooks esque. But he bounced back from that. But he bounced back from that. That one was it'll, it'll be on some highlight reels for or low light reels <laughs> for years to come. Maybe a not top ten or two. But Mac Jones like four big time throws in that game. The wheel route he threw to James White was absolutely gorgeous. Uh, the seam route he threw to, gosh, I'm try- I think it was Nelson Aguilar, who I kept mistaking for Nikhil Harry because Nikhil <laughs> Harry switched to number one. Now Nelson Aguilar's 15. So I was like, oh, man, Nikhil Harry making plays. No, it was Nelson Aguilar. But, yeah, I thought Mac Jones, for as difficult a matchup as he had to come away with, finishes with a 78.3 overall grade. It's it's not a matter of if, I don't think, for the Patriots and if he's the guy it's when. And it wasn't like a complete clean sheet from the Patriots offensive line either. He saw some pressure and handled it well. Trump Brown got hurt in that one. So I think the what I found is the it's the accuracy. Like he's one of the most accurate quarterbacks from week one. Now, I talked about that hurt stat. Seventy one percent of his receivers were open by a step or more. He had the highest receivers open. Eighty two percent of his targets were to wide open, open or wide open receivers, which again comes like that's decision making, but also he's hitting all those guys because he's so accurate. When you would create open throws for Mac Jones and his were significantly further down the field on average compared to Jalen Hurts, you're going to, you're going to be able to put together a successful offense. I think the Patriots have things to shore up on both sides of the ball, but still encouraging signs for Mac Jones is probably the biggest thing you need. If you're going to be all that competitive this year.
shall we get to the probably the game of the the best game on Sunday? Browns Chiefs. The Ooh. Cleveland Browns came out in this game like a fucking cannonball. They shot out and were twenty two points through three drives. Average what? More than seven points per drive. Yeah. And yep. they went for two on the opening drive. I was like, I'm ready to. I was ready to get a t- Baker Mayfield tattoo or a Stefanski or something. Fourth down conversion, then two points, and it was just like, whoa. They, they came in hot. Hit them hard, but then down the stretch, Baker clutch gene. Does he have it? Stop. Do we know if he has the clutch gene or Maybe not? he doesn't. Skip Bayless is talking about it right now. We should talk about it. <laughs> I thought Baker looked exceptional, like probably through the first 55 minutes of this game. Yeah, he was putting the ball exactly where it needed to be. He was putting good zip on the ball. Handful of really, really impressive throws. I thought this offensive line played well. Like this was, I think Eric Eager, who was a big Chiefs fan, said the Browns threw their best punch and they still lost. I think it was a great punch. I think a better punch is when Jedrick Wills is healthy, and a better punch is when OBJ is healthy. I know you maybe disagree with that. You maybe disagree with that, but you get Odell Beckham Jr. back. Jedrick Wills was hurt early in this game. I think some things change because Chris Jones was body bagging Hubbard over there at right tackle. But still, this Cleveland Browns team, from a mentality standpoint and aggressiveness standpoint, was awesome. And I think they're going to be one of the best teams in the AFC. Yeah. I love Jedrick Will's tweet after he got hurt. Yeah. Just fact. Fact. <laughs> FAK. <laughs> Which I don't think he just, what, he had a sprained ankle. I think he's not, it's not going to be super long term. But that O line was now Chris Jones got the best or better of them when he, when, uh, he did go out. He got, I think, he had two sacks in that game. Finally showed up, but everyone else along that defensive line was getting manhandled. So line's still going to be the best or top three ish at worst in the NFL this upcoming season. I, I am stoked for this Browns team. I think it's easy to t- say the Browns are the Browns, but uh, this team has for every Miles Garrett was putting Orlando Brown Jr. in a casket. Five pressures allowed in this game, most of his career in a single game. Yeah, and he—I think you said this during the broad, where we're watching together upstairs. He had like he is finding out very quickly that Patrick Mahomes is not Lamar Jackson, and there are two-way goes against him along the defensive line. And Miles Garrett is a monster, like, and he's wearing number fifty-seven, which I don't think helps. Like that number's ugly. I mean, Orlando Brown Jr. a rude awakening to the Chiefs. Yeah, I mean, you're facing for my money the best defensive end in the NFL, so it's not going to get take much, it with a grain of salt. Yeah, like it's not going to get much harder than what he just had to do. It was a baptism. It was a trial by fire there. But it's also going to be if you traded a first round for him thinking you were getting, you know, Trent Williams or thinking you were getting a guy who was going to lock down the left side and not have to worry about it. I just think you're sorely, we're sorely mistaken at the time. And you're going to be, continue to be sorely mistaken. Like it's not going to be that because it's just his game was suited ideally for the Ravens offense. He was not, he is not the most fleet of foot left tackle in the NFL. He is going to struggle with speed at times. And the more you're putting him on that island, the more he has to face speed. Like in the Chiefs offense compared to the Ravens offense, you're just going to see a guy not pass protect nearly as well as you thought he was going to or how he did a season ago. Browns were five and a half point dogs in this game and covering that number lose 29-33. I think they're still like you come out of this game a lot of positive. I thought the usage of Anthony Schwartz was interesting. He was targeted early and often in that game, showed off a lot of speed. Again, this offensive line, two of their highest graded players were Joel Petonio and Jack Conklin. But you look on the other side of the ball, 
it's the big three, and it's always going to be like Patrick yep. Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, and Travis Kelsey with the team's three highest graded players on offense. They just had no chance. And guard if you can't guard those guys, you're going to struggle. Like any defense in the NFL, Miles Garrett included, and this Browns defense, who on paper I think should be one of the best ones in the NFL, is going to struggle because those guys are fucking cheat codes. And that's what's going to lead them to being the favorite to win in the AFC and potentially the favorite to win the Super Bowl down the road. It was really comical. So Tyreek Hill goes for 197. Kelsey goes for 76. The rest of their receivers and tight ends went for 37 yards. <laughs> Yikes. Like, it was, it's those two. It is those two. And if you don't have a plan to stop them, which I'm not sure there really is a plan to stop them, but that is what you're going to have to do if you're going to beat the Chiefs. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you sit on this ad read before... We get to the game of the weekend, your favorite <laughs> game know, of the weekend. I know what you're saying here, but yeah. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions. Like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western and Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western Southern Finance Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Should Aaron Rodgers <laughs> be looking for life insurance, retirement, and investments? One of the lowest graded quarterbacks this week. Aaron Rodgers, by the way, behind an offensive line that did not allow a lot of pressure. Like, this was not a good look for Aaron Rodgers. Zen Rodgers against the Saints defense that, yeah, I think exceeded expectations uh, before getting hurt. Marshawn Lattimore looked really good. But still, to only put up, what, three points in this game? Three points against the New Orleans Saints? That was horrendous. 43.3 overall grade for Aaron Rodgers. It was the worst. Uh, I mean, I can remember him playing in since like 2015. Sad as fuck right it was now. like it. I think the only time he threw a football was to that boat when he was in the Tahoe. Uh, uh, Maybe Pro-Am. that was the only time I think he threw a football off season. It looked, it looked like, like that. Like he just no one came ready to play, and I was joking like yeah, that's why you get a 17th game this year. You get one game off, but that was like they took a game off. Like nothing. There's if you're looking for a redeeming quality. For the if you're a Pax fan, being like silver lining, whatever. Like the only like thing is maybe an individual performances that you could like. Elton Jenkins looked very good at left tackle. He allowed one pressure, but there was nothing about defensively. Kevin King still looks like an absolute liability as your second cornerback. Uh, offensively, they still somehow go in the tank for no reason, and they're just I don't know. It was bad. There's no good takeaways. Other side of the ball, though, a lot of good takeaways for the Saints. I do think. Elton Jenkins, a 91.6 run blocking grade, too. Like, he had a phenomenal week one at left tackle for the Green Bay Packers. Probably the only one who's coming out of there with his head held, head held high. A big struggle. That's your left Bay. tackle of the future, though. Yeah. That guy's, uh, that you're not putting that guy back. I mean, maybe a back guard once Bakhtiar is healthy, but he has to be at tackle. I do think for offense, for, let's go to the Saints offense. Is Jameis Winston legit? Is James, okay. Does Jameis Winston make the New Orleans Saints, like, more competitive than maybe we thought? So... It's going to be a bad take. I don't. I don't want it to send it up on a cold quack. But I, I wrote a whole article this morning, kind of detailing the fact that I think they have a better chance of winning the Super Bowl with this team than they did with last year's team. Wow. Now I think their record will be worse in the regular season because Jameis Winston is a high variance type of quarterback. But if they can get to the postseason, but if they get to the postseason, they are more of a threat because you just add an element to this team that was sorely missing. You add the shot play, the downfield, the explosive element, because they can run screens on you. They can, they will be able to run in their sleep with how good that offensive line is. 
how good Sean Payton is as a play caller. But now you give him, and James Winston had one of the throws of the weekend on that deep ball over, it was over Kevin King's head. Uh, probably traveled damn near 60 yards in the air. That just, you didn't have that with Drew Brees. He threw three, threw five passes all last season that traveled over 30 yards in the air. Wow. James Winston was a monster at throwing the deep ball this past, yeah. I mean, yesterday. That That is... Everyone and everyone knew it, and mm-hmm. that's the thing. It's like every defense knew it, and so it limits how good that underneath stuff can even be. Like mm-hmm. it limits all your explosive plays because they know that if you're a safety, you can work downhill on all this stuff. Now all of a sudden, that's not going to be the case. Now now you have so much more that you can open it up to, and now you're going to throw a lot more picks, and it's going to be a, it's going to be a different type of offense. But when you face a Bucks defense. When you face some of the best defenses in the NFL, you have a recourse. You have options at your disposal that you didn't have last year. Any positives on the defense side, defensive side of the ball for Green Bay before we get up to the next game? No. <laughs> Just an embarrassing start for the Green Packers. But right, where are you at on the panic button? Are you touching it? Are you, are you hovering it? Are you? I mean, it doesn't look. It, they've had they had that game last year against the Bucks. Uh, I'm, I'm not even close. I think that one's a burn the tape, uh, get your ass come ready to play next week sort of game. Burn the tape, which you just did not expect. I mean, there were four-point favorites over the New Orleans Saints in this game. You did not expect to be burning this tape. You expected yeah. to be fucking putting this tape in a trophy case. Instead, got pretty screwed there. Now, I am excited to talk about this next game. I wasn't initially. I wasn't excited. I didn't think this mm-hmm. game was going to be all that fun. But Teddy Two Gloves looked awesome in this game, specifically under pressure. I think he was the highest grade quarterback of any quarterback this week under pressure. Guy was putting it on his back. Everyone talks about conservative, all this stuff. I mean, he wasn't all that impressive from a clean pocket, but still 85.7 PFF grade in this game. Did what he had to do to win and win comfortably. 27 to 13 win over the Giants. They were three-point favorites, but still, this was a huge win for Teddy. It was, and he looked very good, and it's it sucks that Jerry Judy had that injury. And now it's maybe not as bad as we want to fear, fear just apparently a high ankle injury. Uh, six to eight weeks, I think, was the prognosis. But Judy looked very good, too. Like, Judy looked like the number one option there. Looked like a guy that Teddy was going to be hitting routinely. Sadly, that won't be the case for, like I said, six to eight weeks. But I still think this defense is a, a monster. Like, they, they just have too many good players in that secondary that trying to pass against them is going to be difficult. We saw that with Daniel Jones. And... If you're a Giants fan, the offensive line and Jones fumbling issues, it's a death knell. With that combination, he's going to lead the league in fumbles again. Like, it's just not going to be – they tried to fix it. I still don't think it's going to be close to fixed enough to compete. Daniel Jones, 49 combined fumbles and interceptions since entering the NFL, the most of any quarterback in the NFL. For offense on on Denver's side, not to – it was all – it's all – Roses win big game 27 13. Lloyd Cushenberry, one of the lowest grade offensive players in this game. Do we see Quinn Miners earlier than expected? Possibly. I mean, Lloyd Cushenberry did not have a good year last year. Started off this game hot and poorly. And Melvin Gordon had that, what, 70 yard touchdown run? I think it was what it was. Mm-hmm. But before that, neither running back was averaging more than four yards per carry. They were struggling to get yards before contact. This offensive line. From a run blocking perspective, I think could improve. And Lloyd Cushenberry at the center of it all. Maybe Quinn Miners, the rookie out of Wisconsin Whitewater, sees some time earlier than expected. On defense, for the Giants, a highlight Logan Ryan had that sick ass fumble, forced fumble and recovery. 
he was a big highlight for them. And defensively, like their defensive line, again, against this Broncos offensive line, Leonard Williams, Austin Johnson, Dexter Lawrence were all eating on the interior. It just wasn't enough because, again, Daniel Jones played okay and then had a costly turnover that ultimately cost him this game. Mm -hmm. I think that's the story of Daniel Jones' career. Daniel Jones plays well, plays well, and then turns the ball over. At what rate? The highest fucking rate in the NFL. <laughs> like literally, because a lot of people, yeah. I think you'll see Giants fans or Giants commenters, people Giants commenters, people commenting on the Giants say he's he's good, he's good. He just always has that kind of one or two mistakes. When they're turnovers, bro, that's bad. Like that's ultimately going to cost you, and it's why he's graded kind of middling throughout his career. And it's kind of, it's bad when you think of what he is stylistically. He's not Jameis Winston. He's not. Uh, He's not attacking down the football field. He's making these turnovers, and he's also kind of a Drew Brees-esque quarterback where he's kind of dinking and dunking or like you're Tom Brady-esque or like in that mold where you got to play efficient, perfect football. Like when you, when you play that style of football, you can't make mistakes. Like you have to sustain drives. You can't miss throws when you are only targeting uh, shorter underneath routes for the majority of your uh, pass attempts. When you are kind of an explosive downfield passer, yeah, you can – you can make mistakes with football. You can put the ball in harm's way. You can miss a few because when you hit them, they're big plays and you still put points on the board. But with the way Daniel Jones plays football, you can't afford the pressure they're putting on them and you can't afford to give the ball to the other team as much as they do. On to the Sunday night affair, which was fantastic to watch. Not a in game. The, huh? Not a game. It was fantastic to watch what? It was fantastic to watch in the office. Oh. Chris Collinsworth on the call, working with George Shuri and the Sunday night crew here at PFF. Sorry. Sorry, it was a good time. It was not a fantastic game to watch. And you yeah. don't start at quarterback for the Bears. Okay? That's always going to be a concern. For the Rams, I thought Matthew Stafford did exactly what they wanted him to. Wanted to open up the deep parts of the football field on play action and fucking do this guy on court it. Like that, and yeah. people are like, I don't, not people are, are like, but those shot plays matter, man. If you can hit those deep, open throws down the field, it is a monster, monster win for this offense because it's not something they had with Jared Goff. Yeah. Now, Jared Goff did a lot of the inside of structure stuff well because Sean McVay was puppeteering him all the way down the football field. But now you have Stafford who, when you do put him in this position to succeed and someone is open 60 yards down the field, he can uncork it and drop it in the, bu in the bucket. That is going to make this Rams offense absolutely lethal. Yeah. So eight underdogs win over the course of the weekend so far. It's win outright. Mm -hmm. So a lot of kind of Surprises. surprising things happened this weekend. This game was a very much confirmed every prior sort of like, this yeah. was not a surprise. This was Chalky. exactly what everyone sort of billed it as going in. This offense with Andy Dalton was going to look like a fucking train wreck. And the Bears it was tackle be depth one is the, bad. Yeah, it was going to be one of the most unappealing offenses to watch in the NFL. Whereas on the opposite side of the ball, oh, you have no cornerbacks. You cut your cornerback one and all of a sudden your pass defense looks like shit. I wonder why that's the case. Um, and Matthew Stafford can do everything Jared Goff does with a little extra mustard on top, with a little mm. more of those downfield passes, with just a little level of playmaking ability that Jared Goff never brought to the table, and that was exactly what we saw in this one. So this one pretty much was the as-expected game of the week. We have some people hanging banners for this Rams team. Are you sprinting to do the same? I think a lot of people are you know, Super Bowl. They're, they're immediately Super Bowl contenders, immediately these, this like big juggernaut team in the NFC. No. Are you sprinting to that podium? I'm not. I think it's a difficult division. It's a difficult conference. I mean, shit. Like, you're going to have to go through a lot of talented teams. But I do think just health, like I said, stay healthy. Yeah, they should be in the 
if not the West champion, at least a wild card. I feel bad for the Bears, man. I don't think this Bears team's going to be good. They're not. You know, their tackles, you know, Jason Peters got hurt early. And still, you know, some of their lowest graded players were Cody Whitehair, Sam Mustafer, and James Daniels. They're three interior offensive well, linemen. you're facing Aaron Donald. There's a big reason for that. But yeah, I, also. I, I, still, I still feel that there's not a lot of reasons for hope for this Bears team. There's not. I mean. And he's on this. No, the one reason for hope is on the fucking sideline. And he's, well, he comes in for a couple games as like a gadget player, like some circus clown. But like. It's, it honestly is okay, hilarious because so, it's just like his freshman year at Georgia. I'm gonna, where it's I'm, like, we're trying to get him some snaps so he doesn't transfer, but we're going to play the guy who's the incumbent, who really gives us no sort of chance of actually competing for a real deal in the championship. Like, he's not going to win us games, so maybe he won't lose us games either. I'm going to say this, and Chris brought this up on the broadcast about, you know, who gives you the best opportunity to, play, to win football games. All everything that matters with Justin Fields when he's playing is what are the Bears front office expectations. If their expectations are to win week two, you play Justin Fields. If your expectations are to put Justin Fields in the best position to succeed with this team long term, I do think playing Andy Dalton might be better because we've talked about developing bad habits. We've mm -hmm. talked about this offensive line is down to it's like four string offensive tackle. Yeah. Like developing bad habits for a quarterback can happen when you play behind a awful offensive line that's exactly what the chicago bears have yeah like I, i'm not i'm not clamoring for fields to start like i get it, it's going to look bad but you kind of just gonna have to eat it. that's the situation you're in it's a situation it's, you're it's, in. It's, yeah now i will say this it's, it's like if if you really really like the, the problem was they weren't all in on justin fields like they weren't all in on getting the quarterback because they all wanted to save their jobs still like they, they all want that and so they they wasted the money they spent on Andy Dalton that they should have just kept to their two tackles that they then cut and then cut their number one cornerback. Like they made bad decisions over the course of the offseason if they really were trying to develop and have a long term vision, whereas they kind of went halfway in both directions. I do think um, if Bears ownership called Matt Nagy and Pace or whoever and said, hey, if we don't win more than X games this season, you're gone. I would play Justin Fields. But if Bears ownership has not shown that expectation, they said, hey, we just want to win in 2022, 2023, play Andy Dalton for 17 fucking games and let Justin Fields figure this thing out. Yeah. Um, on to Monday Night Football. Has not played yet. Bold predictions for Ravens Raiders, plus four. Ra Raiders at home in the Death Star in Vegas. Four-point dogs against the Baltimore Ravens, who have suffered a lot of injuries. Marcus Peters. No, no, Marcus Peters. <sighs> Marcus Peters won. Really, that kind of got buried because everyone's thinking fantasy when Ingram, or excuse me, Edwards went down, and everyone's like, "Oh, the fantasy implications." So that one obviously got more play, but the Peters one's far more impactful for them long term. And going up against a Raiders team that has, you know, some weapons, at least like Henry Ruggs is someone that needs to be accounted for with that speed. I think it'll be a little closer than I initially thought, but I still think the Ravens Ravens win. I think the Ravens win. I do also think they cover. I think this Raiders defense. Mm -hmm. I think this Raiders defense is not going to play well against a very, very good Baltimore Ravens team. All right, on to our closing segments here on the Tailgate Podcast. Appreciate you working with us through that NFL Week One slate. We have our fun to read. It, it really was like system overload when we had we had the Thursday night game, but you had no meaningful football for nine months, and then all of a sudden we're in the office with the Octabox yeah, it was, on the scene, and it's like, oh my god, there's six games. What do I watch? What are like what's what's going on? It was and there's a, lot. a big play here, and I miss a big play there. It's oh, 
it was overload for a little bit. I had to get my bearings straight. It was tough. It was tough. And hard, hard life. Hard life for us here at PFF, man. Um, we had our fun to read segment, our fun to watch watch, cake your pants moment of the weekend, rookie of the week, blackout of the week, and then our tailgate highlights from Columbus. Let's start with our fun to read. Our big friend, big friend, our best friend, Robert Griffin III. This was during the Cowboys game that they almost won, by the way. Yeah. They might as well go ahead and trade Ezekiel Elliott to the Ravens. He'd get more than four carries in the first half. Yikes. Emmanuel Acho replied and said, big facts. <laughs> well, you're getting a, Emmanuel Acho replying and saying big facts to you. You're probably going to end up on fun to read. We, we know our... Uh, our brand. Our brand, yeah. I do uh, think that Ezekiel Elliott might eight. get more than four carries on the Ravens, but the amount of touches Ezekiel Elliott or the amount of carries that Elliott got in that game was not the reason was the Cowboys precisely lost the amount they should have. Yes. When, when your tackles are pass protecting at the level they were, which was basically damn near lights out with Lyle Collins and Tyron Smith, it behooves you to pass every single time with those wide receivers. If you're going to have time with those wide receivers, get the ball to them. Don't don't be wasting your time trying to roll that Vita Vea. And they were having success. Like they were having success yeah. through the air. Like I know throwing 50 plus times a game is not ideal, especially for a quarterback coming off injury, but that was keeping them in the game, like single handedly. If they ran the football more behind that interior offensive line while Vita Vea was like eating people alive, Zia Elliott would have averaged like one yards per carry and they probably wouldn't even score more than 10 points. Anyway, fun to watch, watch. We got a lot here. A lot of people on the uh, fun to watch. Uh, Arif Hassan had a good take on RG3, or a good take. Yeah, he, he had a take on RG3 that was worthwhile. He said his whole feed is just connecting random ideas with strings of words, arbitrary strings of words. I love which that. RG3 has a lot of, uh, he's got a lot of fun to reads. Joe Thomas on the fun to watch, watch, former Cleveland Browns offensive tackle, now an analyst, I believe. Rashawn Slater has been excellent today. He's smooth and fun to watch. Very true. Add him to the fun to watch board, baby. Absolutely true. Matt Harrison at explosive output. Say what you want about Kirk Cousins' ability or value. No, this is a real tweet. <laughs> Say what you want about Kirk Cousins' ability or value, but he's not a fun player to watch play football. It's like watching vanilla ice cream cone melt. Wow. There you go. We had an anti-fun to watch. I like that. Someone who's actually not fun to watch. Our Kirk first Cousins? One. I would first argue, one of those. I agree. I'd agree he's not fun to watch. But not fun to watch, Kirk Cousins. Not fun to watch, watch. Last one here from Brendan Deeg. Jalen Hurts, so damn fun to watch. What a performance. 721 likes. Fuck. So add it to the list. We got Rayshon Slater, Jalen Hurts, now along with Wandale Robinson, Minnesota's run game, Georgia's punt team, Jordan Love's high-end plays. <laughs> I love Jordan Love's high end plays. <laughs> and Tyler Huntley. We're putting together an all star fun to watch. Jordan spot. Love's high end plays is easily my favorite of that group. All right, cake your pants moment of the weekend. We actually caked our pants collectively on the drive back from Columbus watching this tape. Yeah. It was, I, I got two cake my pants moments, <laughs> and they were both uh, in Columbus? No. The, Sam Howell had one of the best throws maybe I've ever seen on a go ball. Yeah, he's playing Austin P. But he put it, I did the math, 63 yards from line, of, from line of release to line where it was caught, 18 yards from the hash he threw it on to the distance that, lateral distance that the receiver caught it. I don't even know how to describe that one. Did the little Pythagorean theorem there, 65.5 oh, no. yards. That comes A out squared to. plus B squared equals C squared. Yes. C squared was C squared there. C is 65 and a half yards. Wow. And it was a go ball to. I mean, breadbasket. It was not really open. It was a perfect it was, throw. It was about as perfect throw as you'll see and 65 and a half yards down the football field. That was a pants caker. 
And the it? other one was the Florida State <laughs> losing to Jacksonville oh, State. Yes. Oh, my God. Not even on a Hail Mary. What was it, like, all, damn near 70 yards? And it was just like a regular corner route that Florida State decided. Like, they thought they were going to go into field goal range, and all of a sudden, two missed tackles later, game was over. Yeah. And Florida State guy is proposing to his girlfriend because— That was my bonus pants caker. Yeah. This guy proposed to his girlfriend on the football field while Jacksonville State was celebrating a dub after fucking that Hail Mary thing. Like, that— Pick another game. And now I know it's Florida State. You might not win another game, but dude, pick another game. Pick another game. I know like, he's got the ring in his back pocket. Plan's got to change. You have point. to. You have to. You have to be able to adjust. It's an adjustment league. That's probably explains why Florida State lost. They have no, can't make adjustments. Would you ever propose, if you were a football player, would you ever propose to your girlfriend after a game? After a dub? Sure, if it's like a big win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be cool. And then you just never propose. But you, you never can't. that big win. You, you legit... You, you it's not in the cards. You got time, buddy. She, like, if you're worried about her going, leaving, and they're not being not being able to propose in time, it probably wasn't going to work out to begin with. So I argue would... that's probably the reason they lost because that guy was baked. <laughs> in, he just baked in that he needed that win. He's he probably stressing went, all about. He's thinking. He probably about it went all up game. to the defense and was like, guys, I need you to pull through on this big hail mary here because I'm about to propose to my girl. And they're like, Get a little extra pressure, a little extra pressure, and they faded. They absolutely uh, faded. Rookie of the week. Hello, seven targets, zero drops. Cincinnati Bengals. He wears number one. Lives in Quinn City. Jamar Chase. Six catches, 101 yards. Uh, he was what we thought he was going to be before he dropped four straight passes in the preseason. And we again said it was never going to be a big deal. He probably kind of made a little bit bigger deal by saying some stuff that got taken a little bit out of context about the stripes. And I don't the think ball. it got took out of context. I think it just got highlighted too heavily. It's got yeah, overblown. Like it was a factual statement that combined with the fact that he's playing like ass. Sometimes when you give a reason for your, why you're playing like ass, people get mad, but Jamar Chase, he is who we thought he was. I also think Panay Sewell needs an honorable mention. Coming in, playing left tackle after playing right tackle all camp, and then showing up and playing well. I think, and especially he was getting scrutinized. He was getting bullied. Yeah. Blackout of the week. They're, what do they do? What do the, what do the lines do? Do they, do they keep him at left tackle and say, hey, Taylor Decker, uh, I know we pay you a lot of money. but Move Taylor to right. Flip. I would move Taylor to right tackle. He did play right tackle at some point at Ohio State. That was probably six or so years ago. Now, uh, I when's the last time Panay Sewell played right tackle before the preseason? A couple weeks ago. No, but I, I, yeah, I think with the career statures of both, I'd be more willing to move Taylor Decker to right and just how Panay Sewell looked at both. But I don't know. That one's. I, I'm I'm afraid they're just going to kick Panay Sewell back to the right side when Decker comes back. And if he looks like ass, the narrative is going to suck. Yep. Like everyone's just going to hound him, which is unfortunate to see. All right, blackout of the week. I don't think you can really choose any other player. Jalen Mayfield allowed eight pressures. And Javon Hargrave, I think I think Jalen Mayfield went to sleep that night with Hargrave haunting him in his dreams because it, was, it wasn't even close. It was a mismatch and a half. Was not a 0.0, .0 the dreaded bagel, bagel, pass blocking grade, but he was a 1.4. 1.4? 1 1.4 on the day. The normalization there always it just it just blows me away because like what did he do to get that extra one point one point four you know yeah. just playing an extra snap or so right yeah. and not coming up with pressure um, honorable mention though Ramondre Steven, one carry one fumble one carry one fumble maybe he, he may not get is, another carry Bill Belichick is steadfast in his approach to fumbling he's yeah. like you fumble a ball you don't run a mile like the fucking meme or from Remember the Titans 
you sit to bench yeah. and you're done. You think about what you do. You think, do you think they screamed do your job at him eight times? That probably <laughs> would have helped him. No, it wouldn't have. I hope they didn't. That would have been ridiculous. Uh, he did have a tad bit of a fumbling issue at Oklahoma. Three fumbles on 165 career carries. So They probably didn't bench him for him either. So he's going to be... Be in the doghouse. And the, and the Patriots have too many talented backs to like even yeah, exactly. settle for that. Like, exactly. It's like, dude, we'll get James White in there. Shit. Then uh, what's his face? Damon Harris fumbles to cost him the game anyway. So the fumbles were an issue for the Patriots <laughs> in that game. I think they should scream, do your job at them. I think that'll honestly help them both. Uh, last thing here before we close, tailgate highlights and an official grade. You kick off with your highlights, then I'll come in on the top. We went to a bar on a Saturday night called the Ugly Tuna Saluna. That had dollar shots and wells. Phenomenal. On a Saturday night. That it was it was impressive. It, I don't it know if impressive. it was because Ohio State lost. Like, do they do that when they lose? I don't know. But it was I enjoyed that bar. It was a good college bar. Atmosphere. I'm in love with that bar. Went to a couple other ones that were just okay. But the the whole atmosphere was fantastic. We got there very early on Saturday because it's a noon game, six AM, one show up, beat the rush. People are outside, get living it up already. Yeah. Unlike unlike what we saw at Illinois. At Illinois, definitely more of a buy-in from the student body. We got introduced to a handful of things. One, stump, which is fantastic. I played stump before. Yeah, but it's I, it is a good game. I dominated. I won both games. I played. You yeah. have to hammer a nail and catch it and throw it. I, you can look it up. It's yeah. hard to explain on a podcast. But it's very what I can't explain on a podcast that I almost did at 7 a.m. in the morning is a dunkaroo. A dunkaroo <laughs> is when the keg gets tapped. They pull the keg out and there's a bunch of ice water in the bucket. And then they have somebody dip their head in it for as long as they can. Everyone counts out loud like you're doing a keg stand. Then you come out. They give you a pre-cut open sh beard shotgun. And after you shotgun it, they slap you in the face as hard as they can. I Go saw videos there. of this, and I was not. I was like, I'll do it for the for the brand. But I I, I ended up not do doing that. it, which was smart, smart. probably. Yeah. Smart probably. Uh, I think biggest highlight for me was definitely ugly tuna. And the game itself, we were on the field for the fourth quarter. It was freaking sick. That how the big house gets. Or not the big house. The Jeez, shoe. The you shoe. can't still call it the big house. <laughs> the shoe gets loud. And that thing was rocking yeah. in the fourth quarter. That was phenomenal. Um, low lights. Whatever Mexican food restaurant we went. I don't want to drag a restaurant name. One of the worst burritos I've ever had. Not and great. I don't want to bring it up again. But 88.5 grade. 88.5 grade. That is a high quality starter in your line. I think Columbus is an annual trip. That we one, said that about Illinois never been. too. I had, never been, I had never been to a game there. They do it upright. Very good atmosphere. Columbus, fantastic showing. Now, on the football field, not as much, but my God. We're on to the next one. Auburn, the Penn State. Here we go. <laughs> I'm excited for that one. Should be an absolute treat. Until next time, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, producer Mike Quinn, producer David Sofaro, producer Max Chadwick, the Tailgate Podcast. Yeah.